The following message was given by Demetrius White on Sunday, September 1st at Redemption Hill Church. For more information about the church, visit us online at www.redemptionhill.com. Happy to be here with you. I'm one of the pastors here at Redemption Hill. I primarily man the 400 location, so it's not that I'm an absentee pastor. I do come to church, you know, as a good pastor should. Um, but without further ado, um, sorry for keeping you waiting. I kind of waxed long over there, said some things I didn't even have in my manuscript. So um, forgive me for that. But we'll get started. If you would turn with me to Psalm 97. Psalm 97. <clears throat> we'll read Psalm 97, 1 through 12. Thank you, brother. I'm on my last win. Starting at verse 1, the Lord reigns, let the earth rejoice. Let the many coastlands be glad. Clouds and thick darkness are around him. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. Fire goes before him and burns up his adversaries all around. His lightnings light up the world. The earth sees and trembles. The mountains melt like wax before the Lord, before the Lord of all the earth. The heavens proclaim his righteousness and all the people see his glory. All worshipers of images are put to shame who make their boasts in worthless idols. Worship him, all you gods. Zion hears and is glad. The daughters of Judah rejoice because of your judgments, O Lord. For you, O Lord, are most high over all the earth. You are exalted far above all gods. O you who love the Lord hate evil. He preserves the lives of his saints. He delivers them from the hand of the wicked. Light is sown for the righteous and joy for the upright in heart. Rejoice in the Lord, O you righteous. Give thanks to his holy name. Father God, we come to you in the name of Jesus and we come today asking for another blessing. Lord, I'm asking you for another blessing to preach your word. I'm asking that you open our hearts and our minds and our eyes to see you, our ears to hear you, our minds to comprehend you. Lord, may we rest in the Lord Jesus Christ. And for those who aren't saved here today, Lord, I pray that you would do a special work in their hearts, that you would bring them to you. They cannot come unless you draw them. John 6, and we are leaning upon that truth that you have the power to draw people to yourself. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Today we engage one of the hardest truths of the Bible, and that truth is the absolute reign and sovereignty of God. To the natural man, this truth is offensive. But sadly to, sadly to say, in the church, this same truth is often rejected. The great Charles Spurgeon once said, men will allow God to be everywhere except upon his throne. They would allow him to fashion a star. They would allow him to spin his galaxies. But they do not want him upon the throne. Psalm 97 is a royal psalm, a declaration 
that God's throne is forever settled in heaven. Psalm 119, verse 89. This psalm should encourage and warn us. It should encourage us to look to God at all times, in all things, for all things. It should warn the unbeliever that he is not the captain of his fate, the Lord of his destiny. It should remind him that it will be before this king who reigns that he will have to give an account of his entire life. Not only should this psalm encourage and warn us, this psalm should establish our worldview. It should help us see how the world is actually ruled, that it is ruled by a sovereign God. This psalm declares that this universe has not been left to chance, fate, pitiless indifference, karma, or blind justice. At this very moment, the God of the universe is upholding all things by the word of his power. Romans 11.32 says, For from him and to him and through him are all things. The psalmist is endeavoring to paint four truths upon our hearts this morning. Four simple truths to help us examine ourselves and to warn us of this reigning God. The first truth he wants us to see, or the first thing that he declares, is the nature of God's reign. Psalm 97, verse 1. Psalm 97, verses 2 through 6, he declares the reigning judge. Psalm 97, 7 through 9, he declares the particular reign of God. Psalm 97, 10 through 12, he declares God's reign and redemption or what it, looks like, what it looks like for God to reign in the lives of his people. Let us look at Psalm 97, verse 1. Notice it says here, The Lord reigns, let the earth rejoice, let the many coastlands be glad. Uh, the, the psalmist here is declaring the reign of God. He glories in the reign of God. He does not hide from the reign of God. He does not sugarcoat it. He asserts that God at this very moment is reigning over all things. He does what he pleases, when he pleases, to whom he pleases. Psalm 115 verse 3, our God is in the heavens and he, he does all that he pleases. Psalm 103 verse 19, the Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules Overall, this is a cornerstone of truth, the pinnacle of reality, the compass to direct the Christian's life. If you're going to live for the glory of God, if you're going to have rest, if you're going to trust in, you must trust in and embrace the reign of God in your life. The psalmist here does not only declare or proclaim the reign of God, he systematically unravels the characteristics of his reign. Notice, number one, he tells us that God reigns exclusively. Notice here, the Lord reigns. Did you notice what he doesn't say? He doesn't say Satan reigns. He doesn't say dictators rule. He didn't say presidents reign or that they're the leaders of the free world. Evolution he didn't say that, Rain. He does not say God 
and man reigns. You know, I heard somebody say some, one of the dumbest things. I wanted to throw a brick through the TV. That man had to give God permission in the earth realm to work. That's crazy. This verse right here solves all of those problems. God reigns. He rules exclusively. Not only does he rule exclusively, notice he reigns continually. The Lord reigns is not a statement simply affirming the exclusivity of his reign, but the continuous nature of his reign. The phrase here, the Lord reigns, is in the present tense. The psalmist is telling us that God did not create the world and leave it to chance. He created all things for him, and all things are holding being held together by him, Colossians 1.17. The Lord who neither sleeps nor slumbers continually rules his universe with care for his glory and the joy of his people, and he wills the scepter of power 24-7, 365 days a year, and the throne will never be vacated. This is your God. He reigns exclusively, continually, and he also reigns actively. Notice the word reigns. It's a verb. It's denoting action. You know, God is not some deadbeat father that's sitting in heaven with a white beard, you know, in a recliner who burps sometimes and, oh, you know, look at that quasar over there. I got to fix that. Oh, oh, there's a hurricane. No, I got to fix. No, he reigns and he is actively reigning. Jesus said in John 5, 17, that my father is always at work. So I must be working. Listen, there isn't a star. Charles Spurgeon said there isn't a star or a dust mote that is not under the absolute rule of God. The bacteria in your toilet is under the rule of God. Just as much as an angel in heaven. Just as much as a devil in hell. God reigns. He reigns actively he reigns irresistibly. You, you, do you get the sense from this text, right? You get a sense from this text, I would say, that God, he really doesn't have any opponents. I wouldn't think God, you know, would have any opponents. You know, people say they're going to ask God these questions in heaven. You know, somebody said, I'm going to ask God why this happened in heaven. And I said, I don't think you're going to ask God that question. I think when you get to heaven, when you see him, you're going to do just like those angels. You're going to just say, holy, holy, holy. And you're going to think to say something, and what's going to come out of your mouth again is holy, holy, holy. <laughs> God reigns irresistibly. Daniel 4.35 says he does according to his will in the armies of heaven, spiritual beings, and the inhabitants of the earth, physical beings, None of them can look to him and say, what are you doing? They won't. What do you, you may say it now. 
When you see him, it'd be a different story. Come see me when we get to the new heavens and new earth. And you can say, D, I tried to ask him and it just came out holy, holy, holy. <laughs> he reigns irresistibly. Regardless of the angelic being, their radiance, power, wisdom, regardless of its essential nature, whether it's good or evil, no matter the type of angel, cherubim, seraphim, archangel, those demonic entities that Paul calls principalities, powers, rulers of the darkness of this world, spiritual wickedness in high places, it does not matter who these beings in power or coerce, whether they be dictators, magistrates, kings, queens, subversive organizations, for those of you who are into this new world order stuff, this uh, conspiracy theory stuff, God's got them on lock too. Psalm 16 and 9, I mean Proverbs 16 9, says that they plan their way and God will say yes or no even to their plans. He's sovereign. In God's kingdom, there are no sovereign Satans. There are no autonomous atoms. There are no mighty molecules. At the mention of his name, demons tremble. You remember in the Lion King when that, that hyena said Mufasa and they just start shaking? That's how they, you know, they Yahweh and they just tremble. God is the thing that goes bump in the night to these guys. This is your God. This is not just your God. This is your Father. Do you realize that? There are no sovereigns in God's kingdom but Him. We are not talking about a small, impotent God. We're talking about the God of Scripture. Listen. How should we react to this rock-solid truth? The Lord reigns. Notice verse 1. The Lord reigns. What's next? Let the earth rejoice. Let the earth rejoice. We should take joy and comfort in the reign of God. Here's a question for you this morning. How are you doing with the reign of God? How are you coming to grips with his reign? Do you take joy in his reign, comfort in his reign, peace in his reign? Have you come to embrace his reign? Do you rebel against the reign of God? Do you mentally assent to the reign of God without grasping it in the heart? Listen, I can come to most of you today. I can say this, and, and I'm so happy that a lot of people here at this church read their Bibles. I could come to a lot of you guys and I can ask you, hey, talk to me about the sovereignty of God. And you can quote scripture. I mean, you, you guys are good like that, man. On Sunday, though, you can, you, can reign, you can talk about the reign of God, but Monday through Saturday, you live like practical atheists. Monday through Saturday, you live like practical atheists. Let me tell you, whether you believe this or not, believing or disbelieving this truth has daily practical implications upon your life, whether you know it or not. To the degree that you believe God is reigning or not will determine how dependent you are upon God or dependent upon yourself. 
You know, I often hear Christians talk about the political situation here in America and abroad. And they say, well, the president, he's terrible. Well, man, you thought that about the other guy that was just in. But you know what I don't hear you saying? You know what I don't hear coming out of a Christian's mouth most of the time? The Christian, a Christian now, who has the word that says in Proverbs 21.1 that the heart of the king is in his hand and he turns it wheresoever he wills. You know what I hear you saying? We need to do something. We need to get him out. We need to do this. This guy's awful. But I do not hear people who affirm and believe in the sovereignty of God, and I know you believe in it when you act upon it, say, hey, you know, 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 3 says that we should pray for those in authority. I'm not talking about the guy in office. Now I'm talking about the guy that was in office the last time and the guy before him and the guy before him. We should pray for those in authority. Why? So that you would lead a quiet and peaceable life and that this man would be saved because God is not willing that any should perish. Do you think like that? People who believe in the sovereignty of God think just like that. They don't run and gossip about the president or those in authority. They go to their knees. And disbelieving this truth, man, has so many implications upon your life. My little guy, Aiden, you know, he has this thing where he likes to come into the room. See, you have to teach your children this. Bring some peace. He comes into the room. He says, hey, how you doing? You know, he'll, he'll do this. He won't. He won't tell you what's wrong, but he's really scared of something. You know, he's scared of a hurricane. He's scared of a tornado. He sees a tornado warning on the TV. He's terrified. So he said this, Daddy, would you pray for me? And I said, Lord, please give your beloved sleep. But we went and we talked about the sovereignty of God. We talked about God's control. We talked about his power. We talked about as Christians how we can pray that God would move. The sovereignty of God does not lead to inactivity. It leads to activity. It moves us to pray. And you know what God did? He gave his beloved sleep. You have to have this running through your family. This has to be a part of your everyday life, man. We must rejoice in the reign of God. This sovereign God bids us to come to his throne that is full of grace and truth. He is calling our attention he is calling for our attention, and he is calling for us to look to heaven at the one who's seated upon the throne. He moves from expressing the general characteristics of God's reign to us and declaring the reign of God to warning us that there is a reigning judge. Notice here in uh, verses 2 through 6, it says here, Clouds and thick darkness are all around him, 
Righteousness and justice are the foundations of his throne. Fire goes before him and burns up his adversaries all around. His lightnings light up the world. The earth's season trembles. Mountains melt like wax before the Lord, before the Lord of all the earth. The heavens proclaim his righteousness. This sovereign God who rules the universe also holds the world accountable to him in verses 2 through 6. This, these verses look ahead to the end of the age when God's final verdict will be manifested to the rebellious. Notice here, the foundation of his throne are righteousness and justice, implying from the Hebrew that his judgment is right, fair, and his verdict will not be tainted by outside influences. On judgment day, there will be no defense attorneys. There will be no court of appeals, the backing of the Supreme Court. You can't weasel your way out of this. And we are at this very moment in the eye of the storm. Revelation chapter 4, particularly verse 5, says that before the throne, as we speak, there are thunder, thunders and lightnings and rumblings. God is ready to dispense his judgment upon this world. In Revelation 6, not 6, chapter 6 through 19, we see the coming wrath unleashed upon this world. It is so devastating that mountains are flattened and the islands are dislodged from their places. It is so terrifying that the inhabitants of the world cry out for the mountains to fall upon them. This imagery of the mountains melting like wax is in conjunction to Joel 2 in which it talks about God coming in judgment in clouds of darkness, and that when he comes, the mountains will melt like wax. Jesus is coming. And he will either be your Lord or your foe. You will not be able to stand against the lion of the tribe of Judah and win. He has appointed a time when his wrath will be unleashed. How do the heavens respond to this truth? It says here in verse 6, the heavens proclaim his righteousness. In the midst of judgment, they will proclaim. They don't hide it. They're not treating God as if he's some kind of senile man. They're trying to hide it. They are bringing up, we praise you. Revelation 19, 1 through 4. It's, they say hallelujah to the judge of all the earth. Dear ones, the Lord will pay back, pay this world back for every injustice, every act of racism, every rape, every mass shooting, every murder, every martyr. He will wipe this world clean with the tsunami of his wrath. All will be laid bare, wiped clean, and every knee will bow and confess that Jesus is Lord. Listen, Christian, are you ready for this? You ready? Are you mortifying your sin? You killing your sin? You coddling your sin? Are you cutting off and plucking out? 
Are you making provisions for your sin? Well, I'm a Christian, D. Yeah. But what God worked in, he works out. If you're a Christian, you're going to be mortifying your sin. Philippians 2, 12 through 13. Colossians 3, 5. Paul is writing to Christians. He gives a list of, of, of sins that come from the heart. And he says this. He talks about fornication. He talks about idolatry and covetousness. And he tells the Christian, because of these things, the wrath of God is coming. He tells that to Christians. You know why? Because you can use this truth as a means of grace to kill your sin. I taught a message here months ago from Romans 8 on the mortification of sin. And I said this to you guys. Every time I'm tempted, it doesn't matter what it is. We think about white lies and gossip and all. It doesn't matter what it is. I say to myself, Demetrius, in this thing, there's death. In this thing, the wrath of God is coming. And when I see that, I run away. Why am I saying this to you? Because I love you. And God loves you more than I love you. My grandmother, she's a funny lady, she's a great lady. She has a ton of grandsons. When we were small, she used to do this thing where she would gather all the grandkids up and she would keep us and, you know, she'd let our parents go off and, you know, have date night and do whatever. So she had this system. You come into the house, you go into the living room, you watch Creature Feature. I don't know if you know what that is, but they would play the Godzilla movies all day. That kept us glued, man. That, that will tame a little boy. That kept us glued. So then after that, you know, she would, she would set us down. She would get the creature feature going. Then she would go into the kitchen to start getting lunch ready, you know. Then after the creature feature went off, man, she'd take us. She'd put us in, in the kitchen. She had this big table. She still has it. Stephanie was laughing at my wife at the last service. Because this table is so big, it takes up a whole kitchen. I don't know how it even fits in. I don't know how they got the table in the kitchen. But she would set us around this table. And we would all eat. And then she would send us outside. We were happy. It was a good time. But on this one occasion, my grandmother said, don't you go outside. She gave us a thorough warning. She even said, some of y'all might be offended. If you go outside, I'm going to spank you. My grandmother didn't play either. Don't you go outside. And I said, Grandma, why can't we go outside? We go outside every Saturday. She said, there's a convict on the loose. Did you see on the news? This guy broke out of prison in this area. I'm not letting you go outside. And when she said the word convict, man, I was scared to death. I didn't even know what the word meant. I was just terrified. It was just something about the word that terrified me. I was like, Con, what? So I just stayed in the house. You know why she did that? 
She was taking every precaution. She loved me. She loved my cousins. And she was trying to warn us, to protect us. You see, the difference between my grandmother's warning and God's warning is that God's warning is going to really happen. I See, the convict thing or the guy that broke out of prison, that could happen. I could, I could have been killed, but it's a 50-50, you know? He may have been in the woods. I don't know. But God's warning is true. He will judge the world in righteousness. And I think it's Romans 2.16. He will judge the world by the man Jesus Christ. What he is saying is that Jesus Christ will be your judge. Now, this is not in a word, and this is not what Romans 2.16 means. But I think the most devastating thing about the judgment to come will be that upon the throne will be the very being, the very man, the God-man who gave his life for sinners that will be judging them. That's devastating. You will see that on Judgment Day, that you cannot go to God and say, well, I've done this, I've done that. Lord, have we not done many works in your name? Jesus is going to say, I never knew you. You're going to have a distinct feeling that you would have had to have been as good as Christ to get to heaven. You would have had to have obeyed his law perfectly. Pay the penalty for sin perfectly. You will be weighed in the balances and and found wanting on judgment day. And I am coming to you this morning to warn you that God will judge you. If he's a good judge, he has to judge you. You want him to be a good judge. All of this mess going on in the world, these mass shootings, you want him to be a good judge. You must come to Christ and trust in him and rest in him. Repent of your sin. Repent of your sins. Dear ones, dear Christians, this truth gives us, of the wrath of God to come, gives us three things. Number one, this truth will open us up to the beauty and majesty of the gospel. It will open us up to the beauty and majesty of the God. If you want to have joy in the midst of trial, think on these things. See, we don't feel deeply because we don't think deeply. You know what we like to do? We like to get, at home. We like to get home, kick our feet up, and watch ESPN for us guys. That's what we like to do, right? We like to kick our feet up and watch ESPN or golf or something like that. The women, y'all like your TV series and things like that. Nothing wrong with that. But you must think deeply to take joy in the gospel. Do you realize what Jesus Christ did on the cross? Do you realize what he did? He took your sin. He took the infinite wrath of God. That is amazing. And I'm going to tell you why. 
Because God's wrath is infinite. It has no end. And in three and a half hours, the clouds that we see here around the throne descended upon Christ. Isaiah 53 says that God crushed him under the weight of his wrath. It was so terrifying that he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That is the cry of everyone in hell. If I could take you on a trip to hell, you would see men and women there drinking of the wrath of God day after day, month after month, week after week, minute by minute, and not one of them can look up to God and say the same thing Jesus Christ said when those clouds descended on him. It is finished. Behold your God. Behold the majesty of Jesus Christ. A lot of times we don't have joy in life because we don't think that way. We don't think about the gospel in those and that grand theme. That same guy that swallowed the wrath of God got up three days later. And you know what he's doing? He's seated upon the throne, working all things out according to the counsel of his will. Ephesians 1.11, for the joy of his people and his glory. Number two, this truth should move you to perfect holiness in the fear of the Lord. 2 Corinthians 7.1 says that we are to perfect holiness in the fear of the Lord. In 1 John 3.3, it says that those who have this hope, those who have this understanding in the return of the Lord will purify themselves. This truth concerning the coming of the Lord is a means to help us purify ourselves. Number three, this truth helps lead us into humble evangelism. Listen, Paul knew this. 2 Corinthians 5.11, you know what Paul said? He familiarized himself with this stuff. He said, knowing the terror of the Lord, what did he say, Raymond? We persuade men. Know why we have a problem evangelizing? We don't know the terror of the Lord. We don't think on it. Your buddy, your unbelieving friend, and I have unbelieving friends, and I think about this all. Sometimes I miss the opportunity with them sometimes. I'm, I'm guilty of this too. I'm not up here saying I'm some saint. But your unbelieving friend is in the crosshairs of God's wrath. They are, man. So it should lead us to humble evangelism. Unbeliever, how will you stand against the wrath of God on this day? God sees it all. He sees every thought that you have. He sees every motive. Every motive. He sees when you come to church and you do something, but you do it for your glory. You may fool me or Robert or Raymond, but God sees and on Judgment Day, it will be exposed. 
Every word that comes out of your mouth, Matthew 12, 33 through 34, will be judged. His judgment will be thorough. But let me tell you, there is hope for you, and it is found in the Lord Jesus Christ. Come to him. What are you waiting for? You could go out here, get killed, have a heart attack, freak accident, and you're out of here. Seventy years is nothing. But if you go and meet God in your sin, it will be like an ant standing before a blast furnace. Come to him. Psalm 97, 7 through 9, declares the particular reign of God in the sense that this God is the only true God. He is to be worshipped as the only true God. 7 through 9 says, all worshipers of images are put to shame who make their boasts and worthless idols. Worship him, all you gods. Zion hears and is glad. And the daughters of Judah rejoice because of your judgments, O Lord. For you, O Lord, are most high over all the earth. You are exalted far above the gods. We see in these verses the futility of idol worship. During the final judgment, Idol worshipers will be put to shame. Those who ascribe to false religions, those who ascribe to a false version of Christianity that preaches another gospel, another Jesus, another spirit, will be put to shame. Verse 8 says the daughters of Zion rejoice at this judgment. Verse 9 calls us to worship this one true God and this God alone. Dear saints, what do you feel about this text this morning? Maybe you, maybe you, you say, well, you know, you look at this and we have a tendency. You know, I know sometimes I have a tendency. You, I read these verses and I'm like, oh, man, shoot, this, this is talking about somebody in a foreign land. This is talking about the guy over in, in, in Timbuktu or something. But no, this is applicable to us. What are you placing before God? Huh? Your stuff? Is it your stuff? Have you read 2 John, I mean 2 Peter chapter 3? That stuff's gonna burn up. Some of you have a lot of stuff. Your ash heap is going to be bigger than mine. It's nothing. You know, the world is passing away. It's passing away. Why would you give yourself to this? Why would you do that? What are you giving your heart to this morning? You know, I remember getting out of school. I got my first big job. Man, I was on top of the world. You know, my boss came to me. 
said, hey, you have to get your Series 6 license. You have to get your life and health and all of this stuff, okay? So I go, and I read these books, man. I read the book twice before we went to class. I was in the class quoting the book. I had exegeted the book. I went in, took the test. I got up out of the seat. The lady in the, the, the test proctor said, you done already? I said, I know this stuff. I'm, I'm out of here. I had passed the test. Called my boss. She said, what happened? I said, I passed the test. She said, take the rest of the day off. So I then went to this job, this investment firm. I started working, man. I started hustling. Got my laptop. I was working at home. I was, I was grinding. I was up at night doing what I had to do. My wife was like, you got to come to bed. You know, I was trying to climb the corporate ladder, man. I won all of these awards. Then one day, the president of the company walks down to my office, and she says, we're presenting you with the company's top honors. I'm the man, right? I'm finding my identity in this stuff real fast. This thing is becoming an idol to me. Okay? We sat down. We had dinner with the CEO, my wife and I. Great time. You know what happened? They laid me off. That's what happened. You know what God did? He was like the big bad wolf. He blew that house in, man. You know why? Because God loves you, and he will have no rivals. He will have no rivals in your life. He will not share you with anyone or anything. That's the God you serve. Now, I don't have time to talk about the, the attribute of God's jealousy. I wish I had the time. I'm not going to be here another hour. But this is what the jealousy of God is about. It is rooted and tied to his love for you. As a husband loves his wife, a good husband loves his wife. Now, if you try to come after my wife, I'm going to come after you. You may be bigger than me, but I'm going to fight you to the death. Think about God's love for you and why he's jealous. What are you placing your hope in this morning? It's going to pass away. God is telling us that we should have nothing in our lives, nothing that takes his place. He not only tells us that, but our last point this morning, Psalm 97, 10 through 12, he declares God's reign of redemption. In other words, he's showing us what the reign of God looks like in the lives of God's people. If God is truly in your heart. Now, I think it's neat because God is, we talked about this universal reign, this universal aspect of God's reign, right? And he comes all the way down. It's like a cone, right? He starts wide. The psalmist starts wide here. And then he comes down to this cone, and he's focused upon the individuals that God loves. You see, God is not just concerned 
with the big things. You know, we, we go to God about, you know, what we big things. My wife got cancer. Or I got, we, we, that's when we go to God. We have to go to God with everything. We do that because the Lord is not the Lord. We have him ranked. We have him one. But God can't be one, two, and three. He has to be everything in your life. And if he's everything, you're going to go to him with everything. So what does the reign of God look like in the lives of God's people? Notice here in uh, verses 10 through 12. O you who love the Lord, hate evil. He preserves the lives of his saints. He delivers them from the hand of the wicked. Light is shown for the righteous and joy for the upright in heart. Rejoice in the Lord, O you righteous, and give thanks to his holy name. Notice here the first thing that God works out in the lives of his people. They begin to love the Lord. Ask yourself that question. Do you love the Lord this morning? Or do you love what he can do? Is God a means to an end for you? Or do you really just simply love the Lord? Because if you love the Lord, guess what? You love him because he first loved you. It's a manifestation of his work in the lives of his people. What does Romans 5, 5 say? The love of God is shed abroad in your hearts through the Holy Spirit. That's one of the first things that shows up when God is sitting upon the throne of your heart. And the second thing is, is that you begin to hate evil. Listen, I'm not saying you're going to be hate evil perfectly. It's not about perfection And on this side, but the direction of your life. Do you grieve over your sin? Do you grieve? When you sin, do you grieve over it? Do you hate your sin? Do you cry out to God, help me with this thing? Do you use every means necessary, your pastors, your friends? You hate your, do you hate it? Because that's what God, you begin to have a different relationship to the sins that you once loved. Those sins you once loved, you will now hate. Notice here it says that he preserves the lives of his saints. Jude 24 says he's able to keep you from falling and to keep you faultless before the throne. God says to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you to will and do of his good pleasure. God is working to preserve you until the end. Is God sitting upon the throne of your heart? Are these fruits a part of your life? Listen here, it says, Light is sown for the righteous and joy for the upright in heart. Those who have this heart change, they have light and they have joy. This word light here is a euphemism for wisdom. Psalm 119, particularly in verses 98 on down, David talks about 
how he is made wise, how he receives, how the entrance of God's word gives him light, and how he is made wiser than all of his counselors because of the word. Listen, the people of God love the word of God. Do you neglect this? Does this mean anything to you? Does this sit on your coffee table? Does ESPN have more authority in your life than the Word of God? That's a shame, man. Does your favorite TV show have more authority in your life than the Word of God? It's sad. Because you're only going to have joy and you're only going to have gratitude. Notice verse 12, they give thanks to his host. You're only going to have gratitude when the Word of God becomes first place in your life and God is at work in your life. Listen, Paul said in 2 Corinthians 13, after that church, if I did a series on that book, First and Second Corinthians, I would label it circus church. They were going crazy. You know what, Paul, by the end of writing those two letters, he says, listen, some, some of you, you need to sit down and examine yourself to see whether you're in the faith. Are these things present in your life? Because if they are, God is reigning. He is reigning. God's reign. God declares his reign in Psalm 97. God reigns in redemption. God reigns in judgment. God is the only God who reigns and should be worshipped. And we must come to grips with this. this morning. This is a hard truth. And if I'm going to be honest with you this morning, I wrestled with these truths. If you read the Bible honestly, you will wrestle with these truths. Because this is a God unlike any God that a man could create. Father, help us this morning. Grant us wisdom. Give us or illuminate our minds, Lord, that we would see this thing. Lord, we pray that you would impress this truth upon our hearts, Lord, and that you would help us to see that the Lord who rules the heavens and the earth came into this world as a man, the God-man. He took our sins. He took the very wrath of God for us that we would be made the righteousness of God in Christ. Lord, help us to remember this as we take communion this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to a message by Demetrius White given at Redemption Hill Church in Richmond, Virginia. For more information on the church and to hear other messages, please visit us online at www.redemptionhill.com.